Not had enough of me yet? Well, good news. You can now listen to William Hill's Upfront with Simon Jordan podcast right here. The series, hosted by me, gives you a front row seat to big name interviews discussing their career successes and failures. Sit back and enjoy. You never put on a pair of gloves to kill somebody. But they're not doing scans enough now They are, they're doing amazing stuff. Not as much? No, no, they are. No, 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 you're you're, you're wrong. I don't really care uh, whether people like me or not. I don't think there's anything wrong with conflict, personally. I think in life you've got to face it sometimes. You're in the conflict business as a sports. And I remember being in the car with Don King and he was going, Barry, you got to do it, man. I'm going to give you $5 million. And the guns were cocked and frightened the living daylights and they thought we were that much Mm -hmm. from getting shot. This is Upfront with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode is a boxer who went from Olympian and world champion to trainer and promoter. He overcame tragedy in his own career to fight on whilst uniting what was a deeply split nation along the way. Barry Grigham, welcome to Upfront. Thank you very much, Simon. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. My pleasure. I've been looking forward to seeing you. A a lot of the shows that I've done so far have Mm -hmm. been with members of the boxing fraternity because I'm a great lover of your sport. It's a sport that I might get involved in. It's a sport that I regret not investing in previously because I spent a lot of money in football. So when I talk to you, it comes from the position of a great love of your particular sport. And I had a choice in 1986. I was 18 years of age and I had a choice. I could have gone to one of two fights. I could have gone to you versus Steve Cruz. Right. And I chose <laughs> to go to Lloyd Hannigan right. versus Donald Curry. That's right. So yeah. our paths, I... I might have seen you in the flesh, but obviously I was very aware of you and I was very much very intrigued much. by you. And I want to talk about the featherweight division at some point mm. during our discussion because I think it's one of those divisions that's intriguing because on one hand it has a certain view, but on the other hand, because it doesn't get the attention perhaps it should do, on the other hand, when you, list at the, when you look at the list of fighters that have fought in it, mm-hmm. it's quite remarkable. The question that I often ask, particularly of people in your sport, is why? Why boxing? Why boxing? Because your background is you're the, the son mm-hmm. of a singer. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that someone can't go from one background to another, yeah. but it is a vast departure. So what was your why? What was your reason for getting into boxing? I was always a very energetic child so full of energy and wanted to run and jump and climb and um and I was a pretty decent outside rights player in, in, for the Clonus soccer team all right and I wasn't very good at, at Gaelic football because jumping for the ball and I'm being short mm. and getting elbowed in the head invariably led to me getting involved in in scraps and scuffles because you know the guys would jump up and hit me on the head and I just couldn't get to the ball so I wasn't Physically, uh, you know, adapted to the to the Gaelic football thing. Uh, thing I was a decent runner, but not not good enough. Didn't have enough of a kick at the. Was end. your father big on sports? My dad was a, would boxed a bit himself. Oh, did he? And right. Yeah, he, okay. he, he boxed, and his brothers. He he had several brothers, and they they all boxed, but not to nothing, uh, not to a great degree. So when I got into boxing, I went, "Whoa, this is it!" So I just straight away, right away, I knew it was it. Was, and I used to, I, the first club I joined was called the Waterbridge Amateur Boxing Club, and I used to cycle to the um, Waterbridge Club, and but you had to go over the border and back. Um, and I would go the short route, which was through the north, but was at a perilous time in the in the nineteen seventies, yep. uh, and people dying, and you know the Protestants will say that there was genocide along the border mm-hmm. at that time by the Republican movement, and it was a, you know, I mean, it was an awful, awful time. And uh, uh, I remember coming home one night with my colleague, a, a guy called Noel McGovern, and Noel had a little flashlight and we were cycling down this hill. I didn't have a light on the bike and we were cycling home. And uh, we came round the corner at the bottom and the army were out pulling this guy out of the right. out of the hedge. British Army. British Army yeah. uh, with the RUC. And we came on them very quickly and the guns were cocked and frightened the living daylights out of me. I thought we were... That much mm-hmm. from getting shot. He did, they didn't know who we were. We had no lights. We had this little flashlight and suddenly we're on top of them. But it it frightened the life out of me. My mum said to me, you're not, going, you're not going back out there. So right. I then went to the Smithborough Amateur Boxing Club, which was six miles into the south. And it was really there that I started to get my success. But I was 
very, very determined. It was a driven kid. You talk about determination um, as being a major facet. Yeah. But I would have thought that's pretty bleeding obvious because you have to be determined in well, anything in life, don't you? Determined to get well, out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I accept that. But there's a different level of determination as a fighter. Your talents bring you to a certain level, Simon. Yeah. And then you think, right, okay, I'm going to get hit on the head. I'm going to get hit with body shots. The pace of the fight is really high intensity. Uh, I've got the level of fitness to, st to, to stay there. I've got good upper body movement. I'm maybe not as quick as him. He's better with his feet. And I can close him down and everything else. Am I willing to take the shots yeah, yeah. to get through, to, get, to beat him down? Yeah. And and that's, you know, boxing is a brilliant sport, mm -hmm. but it's a brutal sport. The guys that were more skillful than me, I outworked them. I trained harder than them. And I was, uh, you know, I was physically strong, long arms, uh, big hands, big hands yeah. could punch like hell. And I was I was determined, I was driven. And, and I would, I'd, they'd train and do 10 rounds in the bag, I'd do 15. And I'd just work harder and harder and harder. You know, you get to a level in any sport and suddenly you're competing with guys that are as good as you are. Yeah, and there's got to be a factor in it. And that's, you know, yeah. that's, yeah. You, know you, yeah. you talk about that drive and you talk about yeah. the determination. People say, yeah, of course, you need to be determined. But this is a different level of determination. Do you think it's unique to boxing then? No, I, I think there are levels of determination in all sport. But when you come to physical contact and putting your life on the line, and that's yeah, ultimately yeah, it is, yeah. what it's like. And are you willing to go that extra step? Are you willing to push yourself, put your heart to 200 beats a minute, you know, take shots to the put head? Put yourself in the way of it. Put yourself in the way mm -hmm. of that. If you're willing to do that, then chances are you'll succeed. Because that's the big question that's abounding now in current times about Anthony Joshua, isn't it? Yeah. The question is being asked, is he prepared to do what he once did before? Yeah. Which, I suppose... It's a very good question. To use the terminology, it's like you guys have got to look into the abyss yeah. and go into dark places, right? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. You're talking about willing to take risks that others are not willing to take. Yeah. And I don't think... And uh, Just jumping to Joshua, I, I think Joshua's... Uh, and I, I really like him. He's been great for boxing. He's a very nice kid. Yeah. I don't really know him personally. But his ability to take a shot has disappeared. His and, ability or his preparedness to take a shot? Well, I think it could be a bit of both. But right. it's it's well, he's not willing to run into the lion's into the den fire, again yeah. and get fires, shots yeah. coming over his head, missing him by whiskers that could knock him unconscious. I don't know that he has the want to do that anymore. And once that happens, once that arrives, and I think his ability to take a shot is diminished to such an extent that I don't think he'll beat any of the top guys. He's still oh, a great fighter. Yeah. I just don't think he beats the top yeah. guys because of that. Going back to your background, I got this view on politics and sport. I don't like it. No. I don't like sport being leveraged for politics and serving out agendas. No. I, I understand why people want to do it, but it tends to be those with agendas. But you seem to have sat astride this. You, 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 you denote your position as being apolitical. Yeah. But notwithstanding that, you had a, an appeal and a relationship with a very divided country. Yeah. Was it a product of the time? Because 19 million people watching you and a fight at Loftus Road yeah. with a level of outdoor engagement that yeah. hadn't been seen for some time. Yeah. There was something unique about you that seemed to really appeal wow. to everybody everywhere, didn't it? Well, you know, you know what I did, Simon? I was respectful to people. Yeah. And I knew where I came from. I'm an Irishman. Yeah. I was entitled to fight for the British title because my father's family all came from County Tyrone. Right. And that enabled me to box for the British title. I went down that route because the IA, or sorry, the Irish professional boxing route was really not that well respected. Right. And it was a small organisation. And I thought, it's better to, I'm going to box in Belfast. That's where my support is. Um, I'm going to, so I'm going to go down that route. It didn't make a difference to me that I had to, to get British citizenship to fight for the title. I had loads of friends there. I'm a Catholic. I married a Protestant. Um, and so I grew up with a sense of don't upset people. Don't say things that are going to hurt people. Don't put people in awkward positions. We're living in the middle of fucking hell. Mm. People are blowing each other up, yep. shooting each other every yep. day. And I do not want to add to that by wearing a flag that's going yep. to alienate half my audience. And uh, and it wasn't a commercial thing. It was simply a case of, I don't need to upset people. I know I set a good example. I wore the peace flag. My shorts were made out of the United Nations flag yep. of peace. Yeah, no, you did, yeah. All of it was to not upset people and not to alienate people, and to not make people feel their noses out of joint because there was little or no entertainment. 
and this was an event yeah. they could go to and they could enjoy it and not feel See, threatened. I'm in your camp. So, and, 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 and I didn't I, think that was difficult. I, I, that was easy. And I think sport is for that. Yeah. See, I think that we should be encouraging sport to solely be for sport. Yeah. Because we've got, we can open a window, we can turn the news on, and we can look yeah. at this difficult world sometimes yeah. and see all the shit that's going on it yeah. and deal with it. But I've always felt yeah. that sport should solely be for sport. I agree with you 100%. And I wouldn't allow the pressure because bear in mind, yeah, I sparred, been... West Belfast was like green, white, and gold. They don't want you to be a poster boy for you certain know, you, things. You, you know, I, you know mm. you're from the South. You know, I'm, going, do uh, this, uh, yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. No, I'm not doing that. So I would withstood the pressure to do that mm. because I wouldn't have it. And Barney Eastwood, you know, we had we fell out at the end. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he would not accept it either. And he had Protestant friends and businessmen and Catholic friends and businessmen. I was married to a Protestant yeah. and I didn't, you know, there was such hell going on. Why would I add to that? And that was a, Why sim- would and, I and add was a similar tr- and a similar observation from A.P. McCoy. Yeah. He had the same view. He was, gr- he was a great is, fella. Yeah, which is why I asked you the question about your background and what it brings out in you guys because to be at the very top of your sport and to be at the top of anything in life, you have to have a certain view. Yeah. And there's a certain elegance about the way A.P. McCoy spoke about it. It's yeah. the same elegance that you have. My grandfather was in the old IRA. Uh, he was imprisoned and then let out of prison and then he was saying, you're going to live under curfew or piss off over the border and don't come back. Mm. And that's what he did. Yeah. And he went down to, to Clonus and he was a signal man in the Clonus Railway to, for, the, for the rest of his life. Now, he never poisoned his children. He never tried to influence no. me. I mean, I wasn't in boxing when he he died in, in 67. So I was only a kid. But the point is, he never tried to influence his boys. Uh, and he had several sons. Uh, and, and my dad being one of them. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed at that stage that sport in Northern Ireland and music were the only two things that would, uh, that could, cut through all of the politics right. and go straight to the heart of the people. And people loved boxing and people loved music. Mm. You know, I just thought to myself, why would I give people a reason mm. to feel ill at ease coming to watch me box? Mm. And look at the results. We had unbelievable, you know, 14,000 people yeah. travelled over to win me, see me win the world title. Absolutely. And it was... You know, you go into the King's Hall when I fought and it would they would lift, like the hair stood up in the back yeah. and I lift the roof off. And I knew, I know that was because I was respectful yeah. to people yeah. and it didn't take a lot. Talk to me about your first international fight in 1978 against an East German. I'll never forget it. It was right in the middle of all the worst time in the Troubles, uh, Simon. It was dreadful. Yeah. And East Germany had flown and it was still East Germany, remember? So mm. so these guys were like world-class yeah. yeah. fi- fighters, really, really good. They were, you know, they won all the Olympic medals. They were great. And I fought a guy called Torsten Koch and he uh, he had already fought the Irish senior champion um, and Gussie Farrell and he dropped him and beaten him up. So they said, do you want to fight us? Damn right I do. I want to fight him. And it was in the it was right in the middle of the Shankill Road. It was the Shankill Road Working Men's Club. And it was like, and apparently, according to Jerry Story, who was in my corner that night, he said they cordoned a thousand yards. So no paramilitaries or they're watching like a hawk. And they had everybody watching it. And we didn't know any of this when we were taking part. So we just drove in our van and uh, we fought them. And uh, there was a, and it was the low ceilings, everybody smoking their heads off. You know, your mouth would dry in 10 seconds, just like it was like dry as a bone. But the atmosphere was like so charged, incredible. And they loved the fact that loads of Catholic guys went in story. He was a Catholic. Boxing was a, a sport that could break down all the barriers. Yeah. Everything. We walked, we were able to go down any road. If you had a pair of boxing gloves on your, you could drive into the Shankle in the worst sectarian place. If they saw the gloves, they'd go, fine, he's an amateur boxer. That was your mm. license. So when we went that night and boxed in the in in the Shankle, it was the atmosphere was incredible. We beat the East Germans. I battered this guy and never left him alone. He was five foot eleven and a half and he weighed eight stone seven. I just relentlessly I never left him alone. And he just I beat him comprehensively, but the crowd went bonkers, and I'll never forget it. And club sound were a band, and dad, my dad was obviously a great 
a singer and a great musician. So he got up and sang a couple of songs at the band and it, like we just brought the house down. It was great. But when I think when I think of the troubles and I think about how intense they were and the people dying every day, mm. horrible, awful murders. Yeah. And we were able to exist within that framework. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and and with uh, impunity and and with mm. with impunity mm. because of boxing yeah so I owe I owe, I owe a lot to boxing I made an observation at the beginning of this about the featherweight division because it's always struck me as a sort of the lighter weights almost seem incidental in the minds of people but when you look at the boxing world and you look at it it, it goes to the marquee <coughs> divisions like the welters and the middles and yeah. the heavyweights mm-hmm. but the featherweight division, is actually a bloody remarkable division. Incredible, incredible division. When you look at the fighters that have come back, you can go back into history and you can see Willie see. Pep and you yeah. can see Hank Armstrong as yeah. historic yeah. greats. Yeah. But when you get into there and see that Marco Antonio Barrera, yeah. Floyd Mayweather, yeah. Prince Nazim yes. Hamid. Prince Nazim was a superb fighter. People go to fights to see action and they go to see, most of the time, to see knockouts. Yeah. That's what they want to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had a nearly 90% knockout rate, <laughs> which is remarkable. Yeah. These divisions don't get the attention. I agree. They don't get the dough. I agree. They don't get the recognition. No. Why do you think that is, given the quality I, I, of fighters I, I, that are coming you through? You want me to be brutally honest with you, Simon? People prefer to see two big fellas knocking yeah. the lumps out of each other than two small guys. Right. And they, it's a God's honest truth. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a case of uh, if you have style and power and all of these. You know, great. I'm, I'm, uh, and Bigger Marco Antonio Barrera. You look at Naz, who a spectacular yeah. puncher, yeah. knock guys out and everything else. It doesn't mean the same as having two big lumps going yeah. at each other. Having said that, I know that I have the biggest audience that there's ever been on BBC. Yeah. So almost 19 million yeah. For, yeah. watch me win the world title. So I'm I'm very very proud of that. I always knew that if I walk guys down. Yeah, you're going to get him in the part end. of my yeah. style. I, I would get a result, yeah. and also I get people to watch me. Yeah. And we had like massive audiences in the King's Hall. Phenomenal audiences. Incredible. Yeah, you know? I mean, you look back at the time. I mean, obviously, and as I said to you earlier on, at, in the year that you won the world title, Dennis won yeah, the Dennis, snooker uh, world title. Steve so two Davis as well. Irishmen dominating yeah. two of the biggest sports around. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Nazim Hamid. Yes. Because I liked him as a fighter. Yes. I hated the way... He ridiculed certain fighters in the ring. I hated what he did to Steve Robertson. I thought we took the piss out of him and I thought it was disrespectful. When you look at Nazim Hadid, did you admire him? And and was he someone that you would have liked to have fought and felt that you could have got an outcome against? I I would love to have fought Naz. Because he got his comeuppance in the end against Barrera, didn't he? He he got his comeuppance against Barrera. Barrera was just too solid for him all around and he didn't he didn't put the frighteners on him it was out in America it was just his usual stuff he was too good for him too strong for him Uh, but I liked his cockiness and I liked his arrogance and all that sort of stuff and and, and that was Brendan Ingle Brendan encouraged that because you know bring your character with you I hated people dissing fighters and I even hated today you don't need to be rude to your opponent if you can fight you don't need to worry about any of that stuff. And and it's always been my, it's all, you know, at the end of the day, people remember for your ability to fight, not your ability to be rude to people and, yeah. and cocky and ignorant and arrogant. That's that's horrible. That's yeah. a horrible trait. How do you think you'd have gotten against Nazim Hamid? I think I would have beaten Naz. I think I would have beaten the majority of guys because I put Took them under heart. so much pressure. Took his heart. Put him but he was a tremendous puncher. Yeah. Um, from all angles. And, and threw punches from all angles and would have been difficult. There's no doubt about it. And all of these guys, you know, I feel pretty sure on any given night I could have been as good as any of them. Talk to me about Eusebio Pedroza, because that was the that was the fight for you. This was a remarkable champion, wasn't it? He was the Ring Magazine champion. He was champion for seven years. Uh, he made nineteen defenses. Yep. He fought all over the world. Yep. He was five foot nine and a half, which was huge for a featherweight. Yep. I'm five foot five and a half, five yep. foot six on a good day. Yep. But he was tall and skinny, with wide yep. shoulders. He was brilliant on the inside. He was dirty. Yep. He knew how to elbows. fight dirty elbows. Oh, yeah. Lift your hand, stick his thumb in your yep. right. <laughs> he just knew every. He just knew every way to beat you. So tough and and so determined and clever, smart. Fought 50, we fought 15 rounds in those days. Mm. So he was a master at going 15 rounds and knowing when to put his foot on the gas. I mean, I was thrilled uh, to win. It was a, a defining fight for you yeah. in some respects. But how did it change the direction of travel for you? You talk about determination. 
you talk about motivations because we've all got motivations. I've been out and made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. Yeah. I bought a football club. I made yeah. 100 million quid when I was 30 years of age. Yeah. And things get taken away from you yeah. in terms of motivations. Yeah. Did anything change when you won that world title? Did your did your direction of travel change? Did you think, no. I've arrived? No. I, 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 Same oh, makeup. Yeah. Did I lose my determination? Yeah. yeah. I, no, I, do, I didn't. I, I, what happened was I just it was becoming more difficult to make weight. Right. And uh, we weighed in on Friday at, uh, sorry, we weighed in on Saturday on morning the on the day of the fight. at 12 o'clock. Yeah. And we fought at six. So we yeah. went, we were going to the gym. So we had four hours effectively, six hours to put to on, rehydrate. on, on, yeah. on your weight and, and to rehydrate. If I could weigh in on a Friday and fight on a Saturday, I would have been a champion for a long, long time. Right. But that is also discipline. Right. That's also containing what you're eating and what mm -hmm. you're drinking. And I was outgrowing the division and trying to pretend that I wasn't. And it happens so much in boxing. It's what the single biggest issue from a medical perspective and a, a you know, fighter's perspective. You can get down to a certain weight and then guys think, oh, I made 126, I'll make 122. I'll take four. That four pounds is nothing. Four pounds Boiling is everything. Down, yeah. and, and taking that extra few pounds off just takes away your ability to, to take a shot, to mm, deliver a yeah. shot. Yeah. Oh, everything. Resistance, power, everything. So I, I outgrew the division. And what's more, you'll understand this, Simon. The night I, I or the year that, that I won the title, I must have gone to 150 galas and mm. presentations and blah, blah, blah. And I'd end up coming home and Demon and I would go into the gym at my brother at 12 o'clock at night and would train through right. to half past two. Um, and it was crazy. It was really crazy. People wanted me and I was the sort of person that uh, gave Make myself to people. And, yeah. and, and I shouldn't have. I should have been more so I'm gonna, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you, you obviously had this remarkable fight against Pedroza and beat this remarkable champion. Yeah, a year later, mm -hmm. not much more than a year later. Just you, over a year, yeah. yeah. You lose your title yeah. to Steve Cruz. Yeah. And all the background to that. And that prompts you pretty much shortly after that mm -hmm. to retire yeah. at 26. Mm -hmm. In most in boxing world now, people aren't even beginning their bleeding careers at 26. Yeah. It's very young. I mean, yeah. I know it's easy for me to say I'm not the one taking the shots. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I went through a tough time and I Barney and I fell out. And then my father died. Yeah. And he was my inspiration. Right. And it was very difficult to go on after that. But I did. I, I, I then moved to England and uh, resurrected my career uh, and boxed another five times, four times. But it wasn't the same. Why? And because dad wasn't there. Yeah. Um, right. I wasn't at home. Circumstances had changed, and did I work hard? I worked my arse off. I trained really, really hard, and put every effort that I could into trying to recapture the form that right. I produced. But there was just that much of a difference—a split second. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to operate as a journeyman. No, I didn't want to operate as a guy that's going to be up, you know, performing. No, below, not if you've been at that level. level. Not, no, a, no. not if you've been to the world title, no. and and therefore. And I knew it, it's a brutal business, and, and and you know I'm not afraid to talk about that. It's it's a brutal, tough business, fabulous sport, but a brutal business. And I wasn't going to be in there when I wasn't performing at my best. And I just said, soon as that, soon as that degree drops down, I'm out. I'm gone. And and I made that decision after my last fight against Jim McDonald, and I never came back, yeah. and I never looked back. And I remember being in the car with Don King. And uh, we were coming down from the second uh, Nigel Ben, uh, Chris Eubank fight. And he was in the car with me the whole way down. Reggie Gutters was with me too. And we were traveling from Manchester down to uh, to London. And he was going, Barry, you got to do it, man. I'm going to give you $5 million. You got to do it. You got to come back. And I'm going to get you on with uh, Azuma Nelson. You're going to yeah. fight him. And I'm, and I'm going. Another featherweight uh, great. Another amazing fighter. And I just said, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. No, you. <laughs> anyway, he he just burned my ear for two and a half hours of the way down. But you know, I knew I wasn't going to fight mm -hmm. again, and that was it. We're talking about the brutal business of boxing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about an experience you had in the ring. Your fight with Young Ali. Yeah, it was my second fight in London in in a club where. People sat in the, the Grosvenor House Hotel. Yeah, the Grosvenor House Hotel. I used to live in there. You used to live in I used there. to live. I lived in that hotel for ten years. There you go. And I knew that fights went on downstairs, and the, and I, I remember the 
atmosphere inside those fights was yeah. very glass tinkling. Oh, absolutely. And not, not, yeah. What I'll never forget is that, you know, guys turned up in their dress suits and the, they had their partners with them or whatever and, and everybody... Eat. And I come from a raucous yeah. atmosphere in Belfast. Yeah. And we come into this room where people hardly made any noise. Yeah. And you could hear the thinking, as you say, of the of the cutlery on the plates and, you know, tapping the cups. And I thought, what a weird place to fight. And and Barney said to me, you know, this is going to be odd. And I went, yeah, it, was, it is odd. And, and anyway, I fought the West African super bantamweight champion. He was coming up to featherweight to fight me. I think it was my 17th or 18th fight. He was a nice boxer, sharp, and I went at him. And I remember I had to make nine stone to the border control to prove to them that I could do the weight. And remember what I said to you. Mm. So we weighed in around sort of one o'clock and then I had to you know, rehydrate. On the go, day of the fight, uh, yeah. On the day of the fight. Mm. And then, and then you know, six, five, six hours later, I'm going into box. So I it was the first time I'd actually hit... 126 pounds or just below it. And I rehydrated as best I could. And, and so what I found in that fight was I went at the guy in the first and he was a nice boxer, found that he was quite quick. I hit him, boom, boom, boom. And I'm, I'm hitting him with some really good shots, left hook to the body. And then he was wincing. And then I would go and hit him with a right hand and then a right hook. And I just thought, wow, this guy is another level of toughness. So I have two rounds of sort of empty in the tank and then... Uh, in the in the third round, I took a round off and just outboxed him and kept coming forward. And then I, in the fourth round, I went at him again and I hit him with the right hand and he went down and he got up again and I hit him with a right hand and then I moved around and hit him, bang with the right hook. And he fell down to the floor and he rolled and his eyes rolled in his head and I, and I went, oh, oh went to the corner, you know, you're standing there, it's, it's like it happens instantaneously and then you, you're you gone. So I went to the, and they, he was counted out and then the corner came in and then there was, you know, and we're in this really sterile environment, nothing. And then I, I hear the doctor's over and then Barney jumps in and says to me, Barney, you said, my manager says, yeah. this kid is really badly hurt. Yeah. And I went, what? He says, it's really badly hurt. I said, how, how do you know that? He says, I just know. And I went, oh, right. So we waited till the next day. He went to hospital, went to the wrong hospital because these were the rules that mm -hmm. I implemented when we started mm -hmm. with the, the, the PBA to force yeah. the border control. So they went to a non-neurosurgical hospital. So that was no good. He was there for an hour and a half. Then they did take him to the neurosurgical hospital. And uh, so the ambulance is... Uh, weren't up to speed. Yeah. They weren't. They weren't, weren't equipped for it. They weren't equipped for it. Mm. So they brought him to the wrong hospital. Uh, then they brought him to the correct hospital. They done the operation. He had a massive subdural hematoma. Mm. Um, they drew out the blood that they could. They soldered the vein, stopped it. Um, you know, they cut open his skull cap. Mm. They put it back on. It was yeah, all of that horror. Um, and we sit and we waited and we prayed and we hoped that he would be better. And he never got better. And they sent him home to die. So he died five months later. And that was an awful, That's awful, as stark as it gets, isn't it? I mean, and I, I didn't, you know, as I was saying, I was boxing every month and sometimes twice a month. And I just stopped for four months and I just didn't know whether I wanted to continue and thought to myself, if I can... You know, if I can do this to somebody, you know, and I, I mean, at the end of the day, you never put on a pair of gloves um, to kill somebody. No. Never do that. And that's not what I ever wanted to do. But it's a potential do. consequence. But it is a potential consequence. And then that's that's why I was so determined to get uh, the medical standards as to the very best. I know mm. you can never stop it. And we know now that it still happens even with the with, with the great concentration and, and medical results, yeah. yeah, I mean, I went I went to the Nigel Ben McLennan fight, yeah, and I saw literally Nigel yeah. Ben taking Gerald McLennan's heart. I didn't yeah. realize the damage yeah. that was being done there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is the it's brutal, isn't it? I was there, and I was there for the Watson, and was there for you know Paul Engel. I was there for mm. you know just loads and loads of ones that happened up in Carl Wright from Liverpool, and it was. You know, it's it's a consequence of the business, and, and, that, and, and, that, and, and that will probably, in some parts, explain your absolute 
stridency about anabolic steroids and yeah. enhancements. That's that, yeah, you, know, that, okay. that, you know what I'm saying is yeah, you know yeah. you you have somebody that's on on the gear yeah and they're hitting you around the head yeah. it's unfair in all sports yeah. but it's particularly unfair in in, 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 in a brutal country, business yeah. like boxing yeah. You know, because and and that's that's why you know if you cut your out and you're never allowed back in. That's that's always been my attitude. But I, the night I won the world title, I I remembered him it was the first mm. thing, and I remember crying, talking to Harry Carpenter and saying, "This is for this young man. Yeah. This is for him, and, and that he'll never be forgotten." You know, I think about the business. Sometimes I think, "What am I doing in this business? What am I doing in in this crazy business?" And did you come close to quitting after that? Yes. Yeah. I was that, I mean, I had no money, not yeah. a penny. My wife was working as a hairdresser. She was, I was earning 500 pounds a fight. Yeah. I didn't have anything. And so therefore I had dedicated my whole life and that's a decision I had to make. You know, I was 22 years old. You're starting all over again. If you're going to quit, mm. you've got to start all over again or else you try your best to be the best you can be and, you know, dedicated to him wasn't just an ordinary fighter that beat him but a world champion yeah. and that's the way that's the way I was able to get through it um, but I was on the verge of stopping so yeah definitely and that's why I worked so hard and set up the Professional Boxers Association to try and make yeah, want to the game safer but the objective was to make the game as safe as we could yeah. to improve the safety standards to make uh, MRI scans compulsory Absolutely. rather, the licensing than, rather than just brain yeah, scans MRI yeah. scans yeah. To, to bring in psychometric testing to bring in all of the, the you know have paramedics ringside have the nearest neurosurgical hospital within an hour's drive to have two ambulances on big shows all of that yeah. we, we worked with the border control and they were brilliant they embraced all of it and it much was much more costly as you, as, as you will know but we set the standards so high medical standards so high that we improved the game yeah. and I have no doubt saved lives. And that was as a result of me, uh, young Ali, losing yeah. his life in the fight with me. Do you think it is a safer sport now? Uh, without a doubt. The, in the what sta way? The standards have got much better. Fighters are not allowed to box. For example, years gone by, uh, they didn't have brain scans. You could have a shadow or a, or a blemish on your brain and scan just get on with it. and get on with it and fight and, and suddenly he gets a subdural hematoma. When but they're not doing scans enough well, now? They still? are. They're doing amazing stuff. So not we, as much? No, no, they are. No, no, really? no. You're, you're, you're wrong. Okay. I, mean, they, I have this the, conversation the, with Robert Smith at the British Boxing Board well, of Control. The British Boxing Board of Control have set the standard for many of the organisations all over the world. There's no doubt about it. In, in New York State, Los Angeles, they have very, very good. You, need, you find that where a lot of good sports are taking place, the standards are very good. In, in you know, they don't have fight in wayward places anymore. Mm. They, they have them and they and if they don't, they bring their medical team with them. So the standards are great. They, at the higher level? At the highest level, they're, they're, but they're, they're good the whole way down because, right. um, you know, for example, now you can't weigh in, most of the time you weigh in the day before the fight. I yeah. think 90% of the fights and then you're allowed to rehydrate Redrive between it. Friday and Saturdays. For example... Yeah, but now, but look at they're getting rehydration clauses and yeah. it allows them to rehydrate to a certain level so yeah. they are closing those windows. Yes, so they are. And 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 I think at, at that stage the governing bodies have to say and this, and this is the biggest issue with boxing, the biggest problem and I know you're talking about your interest in it and everything else. What the sports needs is one organisation. It's never going to happen. But they need one firm organisation all around the world yeah. that says, these are the rules, you cannot break these rules. You cannot bend it here and make it squeeze it and make it thin there and make it fat here. You've got to abide by these rules. And and they have to be answerable and accountable. But that's unlikely to happen. But, it's, but I mean, I spent a lot of time, I'm spending a lot of time looking at this industry, looking at the sport, because I can look at it through objective eyes. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm studying, I'm talking to people, I'm collecting knowledge, I'm understanding the sport. I've got this moniker for the British Boxing Board of Control because I think it's a British Boxing Board of no control. Right. I don't think they're doing their jobs properly. Right. I don't think they're paying enough attention to detail. Yeah. I don't think the idea that fighters, and I want to run this past you because Bellew mentioned it to me, and it's in the same space as I think, there should be a retention 
from fighters' purses right. that's mandatory that yeah. goes towards aftercare, that goes towards right. their pensions, that yeah. goes towards medical support. Yeah. And there doesn't seem to be... Well, we tried all that. I and, tried all that with the, with, with the But PDA. the British Boxing Board of Control have the governing have the governance. Yeah, they have the governance. So yeah. they should have the balls yeah. to say to the fighters, if you want to be licensed by the British Boxing Board of Control, yeah. then as a matter of course, for yeah. your own benefits, mm-hmm. we're going to withhold 5% of your... Whether you're getting paid £1,500 a round or yeah. you're getting paid X amount per fight. Yeah. Right? That's but, a good idea, but it's... But it's tell me why it doesn't work. Probably because they don't implement it... Uh, and I'm not sure if they did implement it that it would go down very well. That's probably why. But if you're the governing body, and as we're seeing now, there's various challenges, because I, you know, I said it to Robert Smith and I said it to Eddie Hearn the other day. How does this sport work then? Is it at, at the very top of the tree is the promoter, then the fighter, for governance, by the way, mm-hmm. promoter, fighter, then the media, and right at the bottom, the people that have got no authority and jurisdiction, the British Boxing Board of Control, because it mm-hmm. seems to me mm-hmm. that you're getting pushed around by promoters, mm-hmm. you're getting pushed around by the nature of the industry that you're in. And right. I feel quite strong, and I'm not invested in the sport the way you are, I feel right. quite strongly that a governing body should govern and should be looking to the yeah. best interests of the the most valuable part of the sport, which is the fighters. Yes. No, it, it, it is a difficult job, and I, and I think, by and large, the board do a pretty decent job uh, they do a pretty decent really? job, but they can't be everything to everybody. And I think they need help. Do they need a government support? And uh, uh, does there need to be an independent? Yeah, legislation. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's a complete. There are a thousand fighters, probably a thousand fighters, active fighters in the UK. They're probably not big enough. Uh, to do the job that you want to be answerable to everybody. I think they're well intended. I think they are well intended. Yes. What do you make to this statistic? that boxing has less out-of-competition tests yeah. for fighters than cycling does. No, it's appalling. Uh, is that, 64 out-of-competition tests from over a 1,000 licensed fighters mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. UCAD is not clearly not serious enough about doping in boxing. Simon, I, I have a zero tolerance for, for banned st- substances in boxing. It's too dangerous a sport to allow that sort of stuff to, to exist. So, you know, if you're one strike and you're out, that's it. But how do you square that circle then with all these great champions we've got out there that have failed drugs tests? Like? Canelo Everest. Right. Tyson Fury. Yeah. And they have their bands. They yeah. serve their bands. Because there is a difference, isn't there? There is a difference between knowingly taking something that enhances you yeah. and mistakenly taking something. I'm not or do you sure. Not, or you do, I, not, do you not subscribe to that I, at all? I, I don't believe that. You know, particularly in a, in a sport like boxing, you watch every morsel that goes into your mouth. Right. Because it's weight and it's you're watching your weight and you're... You, that's the most important thing to, to boil down to weight. So I don't, I don't go for that. So I, I, I don't accept that they don't know, they take it inadvertently. Yeah. I don't believe that. I think the vast majority of people who take it, take it because they want to take it to enhance their performance. And my attitude is, and again, I'm not pointing the finger at any of those fighters. I'm saying if you're caught and you're clearly caught, you're out. One strike and you're out. Absolutely. So no, you must have a dim view. That. I'm not looking for controversy here, but you must have a dim view of some of the bullshit that's going on with some of these promoters that are trying to license fighters somewhere else in the world. Yeah. In terms of you've got a fight can't be made in this country, the British Boxing Board of Control and fair play to Robert is standing his ground. Yes. And also going to Chris Eubank Jr. and say, by the way, if you go and fight in Saudi over there, mm. we're going to take your license away potentially because yeah. you're in good standing with us and yeah. you need our permission and yeah. you won't be able to fight on these shores again. Yeah. You must have a dim view, because I do. Yeah. I think it's preposterous yeah. that fights are going to be made without people I, clearing the names. I, I, I think it's if you take performance enhancing drugs. It's the end of the discussion. It's the end of your career. Yeah. It's in boxing. If you know, if I'm making a judgment on that, that's it. You're out. Yeah. You're never allowed to come back in again. If you have the audacity to do that, yeah. you're done. Was you're it around, was it around when you were around? I don't think it was. No, no. I, I think it probably was. I mean, they, they said that you know there were various other Olympic athletes, and obviously I've got to be careful that who were taking yeah. stuff and, and and that sort of stuff. The East Germans apparently were loaded on it when they were performing, but you know. They were very sophisticated at it. They were mm. obviously very definite about what they were doing and they had a whole program and kids were brought in and mm. trained and given stuff and everything else. So they were very good at it. And I I'm, I know that there obviously were certain people who took it, but uh, I thankfully never came across it myself. Talk to me about your family union because obviously you've talked about 
your father being a massive influence in your life. Yeah. And the fact that he, obviously I didn't know that he'd boxed a little bit himself. I'd made the observation that you come from a fa fact, in fact, your father was a singer. You didn't, you come from a, a fact that your father loved the particular sport that you yeah. ended up doing. Yeah. Right? And, you, and of course, like we all did, I lost my father recently, so I know what it feels yes, like. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, and you lost a part of you what, and the desire to fight when your father went. Yes. Uh -huh. How important is, I mean, obviously you've got Shane, your son, yeah. involved in boxing and a lot of people have, families that can stay in boxing you've got the smith family that are yes. made up of all, all the brothers fight yeah right? you've got stuff. you know connor ben we just spoke about comes yeah. from the nigel ben yeah um you've got chris eubank jr yeah. you've got joe fraser's son marvis fraser that yeah. fought as well are you pleased that shane didn't end up i mean end up fighting and went into training while rather, rather uh, than actually putting himself in the way of real I, jeopardy I, I, I you know i'm the i've got the attitude if they want to do it let them do it. Don't yeah. try and stop them doing it because they'll do it anyway. He was down in Millfield uh, with his brother, Jake, and he rang me up some and said to me, Dad, will you do some training with me? And I went, what do you mean training? Uh, uh, some pads with me. And I went, what, boxing? And he went, yeah. I said, when did you start boxing? <laughs> oh, I said, I started three weeks ago. And then it came to the stage where he's either going to be committed to the Irish seniors or uh, retire or right. turn pro. And he didn't want to turn pro because he knew he'd been always compared to me. It's a right. bit like, so I know how difficult. Was he good? Very good. Yeah. He was a late middleweight. He could punch really hard. He was a great body shot, great body puncher. He was an attacking, entertaining right. fighter. But he went and he'd done a very serious course on uh, on strength and conditioning. And he's very good with, with that side of things right. as well. And then I went off to, to uh, Mallorca for a, a week. And I said, look, will you look after Frampton when, he, when I'm gone? And he he done the pad work with him, and he said uh, when I came back, he did it far better than me, and um, so I just said, well, why don't you start training? And he was really good at it. So when he decided to pack in the box, and he decided he'd become a coach, and he's already produced five world champions already. I know he he's thirty three yeah. years old, and yeah. he's exceptional at it. He's one of yeah. the best in the world. Yeah, no, no, no I've seen him. I've no, spoke, really I spoke good. to him about Lawrence Coley. He said he met you in the, yeah. in the park. Yeah, yeah, well, I was over there. He says you asked him. He said he didn't say hello. He said, what do you think of this scenario? <laughs> and he went, I went, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. I realised when he spot, when, when I spotted yeah. him, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I was talking to him. He was, I think he was. He had just been looking after Lawrence Coley. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm very fond of Lawrence Coley. Yes, I'm yeah. also very fond of Richard Riakpour. And yes. I think eventually when those two clash, yeah. that'll be a great fight. It'll be a great fight, yeah. But when, you, um, when you're, I mean, I've got kids and I've got value sets and beliefs and I'm a great believer in that you give kids an opportunity and give them the best the best opportunity in life you don't give them anything no. but what's your what kind of values did you want to instill in your kids you know if you do something do it right yeah really put an effort yeah. you might not be particularly good at it but do it to the best of your ability yeah. and then you'll you know time will, will will tell you what you're good at and what you're not good at and then focus on that but treat people with respect Always be respectful to people because, you know, every you look around you nowadays, just there's no respect for anything, and it's like it really I is, agree, it's, I agree, it's horrible. No you value look in at, anything. No value, and and you know, it, I mean, be nice to people. Doesn't take it. It's not. It's not difficult. Well, here's a, here's to be a nice juxtapose for you. You seem to have been involved in quite a lot of conflict in your yeah. life, whether it's with Barney Eastwood. Yeah. Whether it's with Carl Frampton, I'm not going yeah. to get asked you to get yeah, involved yeah. in legalese, no or whether it's with MTK, yeah. isn't the common denominator yeah. you? Because I'm a confrontationist, yeah. I won't duck away from anything. Quite, quite possibly. But I, I, you asked me a question a second ago. What are your morals? What yeah. was? What are your principles? What, what are your principles? What's yeah, yeah. right and what's yeah. wrong? So I live my life to what's right yeah. and what's wrong, and um, I try to bring bring my kids up in the same way. Be decent to people, work your nuts off, do your best, find your talent, and then just, you know, put your life and soul Apply into yourself. it. And so, yeah, people, you know, push against me in certain ways. And, and I and I, I, I let go in certain issues when others, I feel that it's, it's imperative to hold my ground. Uh, hold your values. And, and, I and, do too. And, and that, to me, is important. That's me. When you look at the boxing landscape, as we are now, Mm -hmm. I mean, we look back at you, 1985, you fight in front of 19 million. They would dream. Yeah. They would dream. They could wish yeah. to get those kind of boxing yeah. figures now. You know, you've got zone struggling to get numbers. You've got fighters around the world fighting in different environments. You fought in front of 19 million people. You must have a view now 
of what boxing is and what it's become. You have an elegance about you. You have a respect-based culture. Our fighters seem to spend spend their whole time trash talking about one another. Mm -hmm. We seem to spend more time talking about fights that don't happen. Yeah. What's your if you were to give an assessment and a praise of boxing in the 21st century? What do you look at it as now? With the promoters that are there, with the challenges that we've got, with the fights that don't yeah. happen and all the things that you see because I mean you love boxing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're best equipped to answer this question and we sit back and listen. I'm very disappointed that we haven't seen uh Tyson Fury and I'll Alexander Usyk. Usyk. Yeah. You, you know, it, it seems to me that Usyk is the one who wanted it more than Tyson. What do you make of Anthony Joshua? I mean, I, I've got a view, and it's and, and I know that this is one of those sports, yeah. right, where people like me that have a passion for the sport and love for the yeah. sport, and I go back to watching Donald Curry, and my dad took me to see versus Alan Minter versus Marvin, Marvin Hagler yeah. in 1980. Yeah. I love the fight game. I spend hours reading books about mm -hmm. it and watching it and studying it and really being interested and intrigued yeah. with it from small hall fights up to big world title fights. Yeah. I've been to many, 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 many fights. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask you about Anthony Joshua because my view is that he's been wonderful for boxing. Yeah. You know, in a high tide, all boats rise. Yeah. And I think he's been the high tide. Yeah. Um, but I think the pilot light's gone out. And I don't think he At wants 100 it 100%. I think the, sail is, the ship has sailed. Yeah. And I just don't think he's got that that last bit, you know, I talked mm. about that last bit that, that made the, the difference yeah. between yeah. good and, and great. Yeah. I think he, he's, I think he has no confidence in his ability to take a shot. And when that happens in the heavier division, you're in trouble. Good night, Vienna. Yeah. It's over. And, and I just think he can fool himself uh, as much as he wants, but he knows that when one of these big guys, I mean, Franklin wasn't a puncher. I'd hoped that he would stop him and show me that he there had was the courage left, yeah. to have, you know, hit him, hurt him, and then jump on yeah. him and take him. But yeah. he, he never he never showed that. And I, I just think it's all about, in the, you know, I can look into a fighter's eyes and that's the difference between me and an ordinary Joe. Absolutely. I can see things that other guys can't see. And that's what Spencer, obviously, well, I, do, and, I do a show with Spencer Oliver. Because yeah. I sat there watching, I went to the Joshua uh, Franklin fight and I watched him the whole time, and yeah. I, and and I and one of Anthony's best friends um, is my partner's very close friend. Right. So he gets very cross with me when I start calling Anthony Joshua yeah. a flat track bully and uh, believe that he hasn't got anything yeah. left. Right. Uh, um, and I watched Joshua walk into that fight, and I and I grew a new level of respect for him because the bloody scrutiny right. and the expectation Absolutely. of Anthony Joshua yeah. and the temperature in the room goes up fifty notches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I watched him in the ring, yeah. and he spent his whole time. Every time something didn't look like it was choreographed or scripted or, J uh, or Jermaine Franklin didn't do something that mm -hmm. Joshua expected, he's looking to his trainer. He was yeah. looking to his trainer, looking yeah. to his corner, looking to his yeah. corner. Yeah. I mean, what does that tell you? That just tells me that he doesn't have the same self-belief that he used to have. And, you know, we talked about those little things, uh, you know, earlier in this conversation. Yeah. We talked about what, what makes the difference. And I talked to you about I was willing to take more risks and drive myself harder and get myself... I would over overtake guys simply because I wanted it more and they weren't willing to go to the places that I was willing to go to. And I just think that he's arrived at that position now. And I he's been great for boxing. He's a lovely guy. He can do great commentary. He can do loads of stuff outside boxing. But I just think... And, you know, people say, oh, it wasn't a great performance. He'd be better the next time. I, as a fighter, know that what I saw, what I saw is his, you know, you look at guys that when they're in punching range and shots are slipping over their heads and by millimetres and you're looking at their eyes and you're looking at the reactions and you're thinking, uh-uh, whoa. And it's he's got that nervousness about him and that doesn't go away, mm. Simon. That doesn't, when you get older, that doesn't go, yeah. go away. That gets worse. It gets exacerbated. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, you look at someone like... Uh, Tyson Fury and Tyson can be dropped mm. he's been dropped many times and if, if Joshua hits him on the chin that's what he's hoping yeah. for yeah. but he's but, too easily hit he's too easily hurt these days and I just don't think he'll ever beat the top guys Hergovic would be a disaster for him yeah. even Zhang would be a tough tough. But that's what I said to someone earlier today and they were really most offended when I said it but you talk about and this is a part that I don't understand and it's not trying to be deliberately controversial yeah. but you talk about legacies and I'm going to quote you because uh -huh. I think it's, I'm going to say it, I think it's a bit bullshit and I don't right, quite understand on, it, right? Um, everybody would like to leave a legacy. Anybody that says that they wouldn't is telling lies. What's the point of life 
if you don't care what people think of you after you've gone. Yeah. I don't understand that. Because at the, at the end when of the day... When did they say that? There's a matter of interest. I don't know. I don't he know must have dug that up. Yeah, we've got I, it. And I'm, I can't you, even you're, remember you're, it. You're being held to account for it. Right? So now explain it. Because right? I don't understand it. Because I think at the end of the day, the people that know are the ones that matter. Yeah. I, right? I, you know what, you it, know what it was, Simon? Like... I probably said that when I was younger. Right. And I've had a lot of life since experiences then. Yeah. since then. And, uh, you know, of course it matters that people remember you. Yeah. And, and you'd like to think people would think of you fondly. Yeah. You don't. But no, I, I, no, 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 no. I do. Yeah. I just don't care if they don't. Yeah. I know what my values okay. are. I know what I've done. I know who I've done it for. Yeah. And I know what are the achievements I had in my life. Yeah. I don't particularly care if someone I don't know thinks I'm this or thinks I'm the other. Well, it, I, likewise. I, I, the people who don't like me, I don't give a fiddlers. Right. I really don't. And and if they don't like me and they say things that are bad about me, that doesn't worry me one jot. What I what I do want to do is you want to you want to win, do your level best. If you can entertain people along the way, great. If you can leave memories that people will have for a lifetime, that's great. I think I've done that. I, I I've I've achieved at the highest level. Um, I kept my moral compass. I treated people with respect. I was good to people. I done along the way. I was nice and decent to people. Probably too nice, and and mm. I got a lot of time wasters and all of that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm happy with my lot. And for the the Barry McGuigan haters, I can't change their mind, and I'm well, not. I don't in, imagine there be I'm too not, many of those. I'm not, I'm not worried about that, and I'm not. I don't really care uh, whether people like me or not. Uh, have I done my job? Have I raised a family? Have I uh, put love into my kids? Yeah. Without writing your obituary, mm -hmm. what's left for you to do? Well, I want to see, you know, I want to help and support my kids. Yeah. Uh, uh, Shane and... Um, well, they're men now, aren't they? Well, they're, no, 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 but they're, they're my kids. Yeah, yeah. No, they may no, be men, no. but they're still my children. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and, and so I want to help and support them. Uh you know, I, I I I come to the gym. I say to the kids, put my arm around the kids when they have a bad spar, and you know, I say to them, hey, it's not going to work out every day. You're not going to win every second of every round. That's just the nature of the the beast. So I I help and encourage them. I watch their opponents wrap their hands. I'm in an important stages in their career to help and support them to to achieve their objectives. They're world class at what they do, um, and I'm I'm very about, proud of that. But what you? And the things that you want to do, and, and the I, things that you want to achieve—that's great. And I want the yeah. best for my kids. I yeah. want my fifteen-year-old daughter to, yeah. to enjoy. I've got a two and a half-year-old son. Yeah. I'm the oldest bleeding father in the playground, and yeah. it goes with that. And you I look want him. Pretty good. Thank I'll you. Tell you know, you, you can't polish a turd. I know that. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> Stop! I never said that. <laughs> no, you no, said I'm that. I'm paraphrasing that's for you. Right, right. Um, but what about what you want to achieve? You must still have ambitions. Yeah. yeah. I, I, what do you I, want? To, what, 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 what is it you want to achieve? That's a good question. Um, it's the one good question. Yeah, I'll it's put a it, good it? question, and then I never thought about. It. Now I haven't written it down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, I like to still be involved in the sport in a way that would help the sport. Uh, I want to be helpful to to the boys as they come along. It's yep. a tough business, mm. and Simon, if you're going to go into yep. it, you, you you need to be well up. prepared. Oh, absolutely, and, and and not that it's any it's any more difficult than the Premier League. I'm sure no, it can. It, has it its couldn't own possibly be, but it is a tough business, and I, I I'm happy to be there on the end of the phone. No, if mate, I was going to say that to you. I ever want any help? You know, two ears and two uh, eyes and one mouth at times. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and but uh, you know, I'd I'd like to be able to continue on and live a. a um, a happy life and see my children and grandchildren and great grandchildren grow up and you know live as long as the lord spares mm. me you know that's what, i mean that's that's what i want and and do something do something valid and, and help and be be a contribution to society barry mcgregor i've very much enjoyed speaking to you Thanks, thank sir. you for being up front with me today thank you up front with me simon jordan is brought to you by william hill Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.